look, kiddos, those who hate capitalism but yet love the manufacturers of their smartphones and their electric cars, um, we have to talk about something because you guys like somebody who's completely vapid. Nobody would think that a real BX Puerto Rican girl would be able to run for Congress in New York City. We all, you know, thought that's it. The big money's there and we don't got it. So that's, that's a wrap. Yeah, Jenny from the block, you're not. Actual comment, people, Sweden, Denmark, Norway are all socialist democracies. And they're doing superbly well. Venezuela, not an example of socialism. It has become a very corrupt place. That's the problem, not socialism. We're going to debunk all that on the Adrian Slade Show. The presidential motorcade was just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slade Show. We have been watching the Democrat Party boil itself down to a progressive Marxist purified amalgamation. It's unbelievable. And we talked about this on the last uh, quick rant. We talked about the democratic socialism concept and how it's just plain out silly because trying to run on things like, oh, free college and loan forgiveness and free trade school and $15 an hour guaranteed government jobs and free health care. And, you know, all of that stuff is unsustainable. It's, it's impossible to do in a society like we have, you know, they were wanting universal basic income because, you know, suddenly AI is going to take all the jobs away, even though we have no idea to foresee what kind of innovation and technology may arise to meet the new changes, the disruption by AI. You know, we don't know what that, that's going to entail, but we have to pretend like oh, everybody's job's going to go away and we got to give everybody an allowance like daddy does. But we're watching the Democrat Party embrace Marxism, embrace socialized, you know, it's democratic socialism. It's like, okay, uh, it's, it's, it's really cool because it's different than socialism because it's democratic and everybody votes for it. So everybody votes to economically destroy the country. Hey, that's great. Everybody votes to have your, you know, income taken by somebody else. I mean, in the form of taxation, it's unbelievable. But we're watching the party boil itself down. In fact, outside of the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez election, you know, the primary that just happened, where she beat out Democrat caucus chair Joe Crowley, which is a really huge upset, almost to the converse of the Republicans when Eric Cantor was beaten by David Bratt, who rocks, by the way. David Bratt's awesome right here in the Commonwealth. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. When you have that happening and you have situations like the California Democrats, they decided to in endorse uh, Kevin DeLeon against Dianne Feinstein, even though in the general election, it looks as though Dianne Feinstein's going to win. But that's stunning. That shows the party falling apart or pushing out its moderate wing and becoming more leftist, more progressive, more Marxist. But the problem is, I don't know if it's completely, or at least the people that are being pushed to the forefront, are they completely doubling down on pushing a movement and ideology that they fully know about? I mean, or are they just indoctrinated? Has college academia done its job? Because that's where the real fight is going. But listen to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez 
Um, talk about Israel and Palestine. It's pretty, pretty uh, hmm, enlightening. But uh, I am, of course, the, the dynamic there in terms of geopolitics of and the course. war in the Middle East is very different than mm. people expressing their First Amendment right to protest. Well, yes, but I also think that what people are starting to see, at least in, in the occupation uh, of, of Palestine, is um, just an increasing crisis of humanitarian condition. And that, to me, is just where I tend to mm -hmm. come from on this issue. You use the term the occupation of Palestine. Mm. What did oh. you mean by that? Oh, um, I think it, what I meant is like the, the settlements that are increasing in, in some of these areas and, and places where, um, where Palestinians are experiencing uh, difficulty in access to uh, their housing and homes. Do you think you can expand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd also just, I, I am not the expert on geopolitics on this issue. You so I guess she's trying to make the claim that the uh, disputed areas that they call the settlements, which is completely a media narrative, a false narrative. She acts as though Palestine has claims to that area. Even though Israel goes back to the beginning of time, the land of Canaan, I'm not trying to get biblical on you again, but the land of Canaan was given to the Jewish nation. And yeah, many a times they were attacked, held, you know, in siege, run out, but they were always, you know, it was, it was kind of a back and forth with God in the Jewish community. You know, Babylonian uh, occupation happened. The Assyrians did the same thing to Israel, you know. Then, around the 13th century, the is Islamic movement, the Muslims, they took over that area. Which, it's a, there's an interesting story about how it was returned. You know, back in World War I, you talk about um, this gentleman, uh, Edmund Ellerby. He's a general for the British. And he basically wanted to return you know, Israel back to its, its rightful ownership. There, I'll read a little bit of a, a background on it. After a period of a stalemate in southern Palestine from April to October 1917, and this is when uh, the Palestinians had occupied an area in Israel. And so you have to remember, if our country is illegitimate because we came over here and the natives, you know, greeted us and then we had a struggle with them. And next thing you know, that even though they sold their property to us and sold land to us and we had parts of our uh, government, which, you know, were not really on the up and up, basically push the natives out of here. All of a sudden, our legitimacy to be an American nation, not so much towards the left. But the Palestinians can come in and take over Israel. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, well, it's, it's Palestine. But anyways, Edmund Allerby, he captured Beersheba. And having weakened the Ottoman defenses, he had stretched almost continually from Gaza to Beersheba, and they were finally captured by November 8th at the Battle of Tel El-Kofit and the Battle of Haria and Sharia and the Third Battle of Gaza when the pursuit began. During the subsequent operation, about 50 miles of formerly Ottoman territory was captured as a result of the EEF four, uh, victories at the Battle of Mugar Ridge fought between November 10th and the 14th, and the Battle of Jerusalem fought between November 17th and December 30th. 
Now, what's really interesting about these battles is why did it why was it so easy for General Allenby to defeat the Ottomans? Well, the translation of his name is key here. The translation in Allah, it's it's really crazy. I'll read this here. Allenby decided to overfly Jerusalem when he was looking to uh, restore Jerusalem. He was looking to capture it. He was dropping leaflets, which demanded their surrender. You know, the Ottomans. And what, what he did not know was that the Turks believed in an old prophecy that they would never lose the holy city until, quote, a man of Allah came to deliver it. Allenby's signature on the leaflets was mistaken for Allah Bey, man of Allah. So the Turks just said, oh, this is prophecy. They surrendered without firing a shot. An incredible fulfillment of biblical prophecy, which put Israel under British mandate. This mandate called the Balfour Declaration called for a Jewish homeland and set the foundation for modern Israel. Jerusalem had been under Muslim control during uh, centuries before with both Christians, Jews, and Muslims living together as one community under Muslim ruling majorities. So to say that Israel doesn't exist or to say that Palestine is the legitimate you know, claim to that land is pretty ridiculous. But the left, they don't have any nuance. They don't have any way of, of understanding that uh, this land had been there for ages. And, and then 50 years later, which is another uh, Israeli jubilee year, the Six-Day War was when Israel regained the Temple Mount. But, you know, that's the thing. The left is so obsessed with their agenda their hatred for the Jewish community, their hatred for Israel, their love of government control, that they're running these people who can't even articulate what they know about the distinctions between Israel and Palestine, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But, and it leads to dangerous things. This is why it's a big deal to me. This is why, because people vote these things in because it sounds nice. Wow, they're giving us free college. Wow, they're giving us, you know... Free uh, health care. Yeah, all that stuff sounds great on paper, but it has to be sustainable. It has to be able to uh, be incorruptible to a degree. And what happens is you lead to policies that turn your locality, turn your nation eventually into Sa San Francisco. You know, San Francisco, where it never rains and the temperature's always a nice mid-70s or what have you. And there's tons of feces on the ground and needles to be had. Listen to this uh, news report from San Francisco with the mayor. And this is what happens when you have the policies of democratic socialism being implemented in a city. This is a, this is a, a testing ground. This right here it implicates everything that they do. And it shows that what we've been screaming, what we've been talking about, like when we said Obamacare or nationalized health care is horrible because it's going to give us death panels and it's going to destroy the market on its own for, you know, pricing and cost. And, and what happened? People lost their freaking plans. Other people had their deductibles skyrocket. It didn't it did everything that we thought it would do, but no one wanted to listen. And the same can go for all of these different plans and policies. But just listen to this news clip. Really interesting, but it shows the destructive wake of 
democratic socialism and government programs. San Francisco, the new mayor, London Breed, walked the streets today, the same streets she's vowed to clean up. Now, at one point, she and her staff walked right by a man who appears to be prepping a needle. You see it right there. Okay. Mayor Breed, who grew up in the city as well, plans to clean up San Francisco in part by opening the nation's first supervised injection site. That's where people can shoot up their own drugs indoors under supervision instead of on the streets. Uh, the city's health department had hoped that to open two sites by July, but it's clear now that San Francisco will not meet that goal, and the new mayor couldn't tell us when those sites will open. Uh, earlier this year, our investigative unit, one of our reporters, Bagad Shaban, took us to Vancouver in Canada to show us how those sites work. His ongoing investigation into San Francisco's disease streets really exposed the alarming amount of drug, needles, trash, and feces on our streets. Tonight, Bagad sits down with the mayor in her first one-on-one -on -one interview since taking office. Bagad. Well, one of the mayor's main ideas to clean up San Francisco focuses on nonprofits that already help the homeless. She says those organizations that receive money from the city should do a better job to educate the homeless to, quote, clean up after themselves. You're a native of San Francisco. Is this the worst you've seen it? I will say um, that there is more, there's more feces on the sidewalks than I've ever seen, you know, growing up here. That was something that did not, wasn't the norm. Than you've um, ever seen. Than I've ever seen, for sure. And that is a huge problem. And we're not just talking about from, from dogs. We're talking about from humans. How can a city with some of the most expensive rent... That's amazing. They're going to have facilities where you can go shoot up under supervision. It's like, hey, hey, hold my band. Pull a little bit tighter there. Whoa, 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 wait over there, guy. Now you're putting a little too much. You're going a little heavy on the hair on, okay? You better back that off a bit. I mean, what is that going to look like? And then the fact that they've got... We've got nonprofit organizations that are going to uh, fund a little bit more awareness on how to drop a deuce in public properly and be clean about it. I mean, really? I, we're taught that at, what, age two, three? I mean, I, I don't get it. It's unbelievable. The fact that a guy is caught shooting up right there in the news report as they're walking by the mayor, the fact that they're concerned about people defecating in the streets and they're going to set up facilities that will allow them to just go about their business shooting up and just, you know, maybe OD. And it's unbelievable. That is progressivism because they've got to have more government programs. You know, we just didn't spend enough money on the war on poverty, right, LBJ? I mean, we just haven't spent enough money. We got to throw more money at it. That's the problem. They, when we talk about conservatism, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Conservatism is, you know, and I heard somebody say this. Conservatism is not an ideology. It's a, a political science, you know, strategy. It's, it's, a, it's a vehicle. It's basically there are things that we hold dear. Virtue, uh, morality. We want to conserve those. But the left, on the other hand, they want to do whatever they want. With thought, with regardless of consequence, hey, it's my body. I can do what I, you know. And that's the problem: is it leads to a society that cannot function under the guidelines of a constitution that is built on morality and virtue. You know, yeah, we're humans. We're we're sinful people. We make mistakes. We can be corrupted. But if we're all striving to be virtuous and and have morality 
and look to our neighbors and, and want to be, you know, someone who wants to do right by their creator, well, then we're not going to go down the road of just making things however we want and disregarding the document that was put into place. You know, that's that's the Constitution. So it's interesting because and then you talk about the success of, you know, communism and what have you. How about this? This news story. Cuba will officially recognize private property, something the communist country had long rejected as a vestige of capitalism. Yeah. So communist countries are realizing it doesn't work. Areas like Illinois, who are overly bloated on pensions, San Francisco, who needs to clean up its uh, poo problem. They're all showing the effects, you know, Venezuela collapsing, eating pets. You know, they're all showing the demise of societies, demise of, of, of civilization under socialism. Yet we're out here trying to praise it. We're out here thinking these college kids are all wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And they're like, yeah, I'm gonna, we're going to make a change for the future. We're going to change the world. And we're going to implement democratic socialism. Oh, yeah. So thanks, college. I want to get into a little bit of how academia has birthed this. And we know that in music, there's tons of progressivism. In entertainment, TV, movies, there's progressivism. But where it's really stunning to watch, and I can give you some examples, where it's really amazing to see how it's toxic to itself is in the world of comedy. And we're going to get onto that on the other side of the break. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So we were talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's views on democratic socialism and her view on even Palestine. And, you know, of course, democratic socialism given us uh, the feast of pets in Venezuela. You know, they're like, let them eat pets. Well, Maduro's eating an empanada on TV. You know, when you see San Francisco is a, it's basically a, a municipality with a poo problem um, that nonprofits have to show them how to defecate in public in a cleanly kind of way. And they want to set up these little, you know, needle houses so that people can overdose on heroin, in, you know, in a, in a responsible way. Or, you know, they want to talk about the collapse of the Illinois economy over the inflated pensions because of the, you know, the multitude of government employees that are now promised all this money when they retire and it's unsustainable. You know, when she talks about Palestine, you know, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, where do you see the nation of Palestine on a map? It sounds like this. I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed- education like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq everywhere like such as and I believe that they should uh, our education over here in the US should help the US or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. But, you know, there are many things that we can attribute the move of people like Ocasio-Cortez, the youth, 
you know, those who view socialism as being something good. I mean, on the for young girls, they've been inundated. They've been inundated with propaganda that's been lauding this kind of BS. You know, from from magazines like uh, like Vogue and Cosmopolitan. I mean, listen to this. This these are headlines from Teen Vogue. Happy May Day. Capitalism is a huge driver of both social and economic inequality. Here's another Teen Vogue. International Women's Day is rooted in socialist feminism. Another. Ash Skartar was not here for Pierce Morgan's bullying. She's the one who said on Pierce Morgan's show, she outright came out and said, I'm a critic of the Democratic Party because I'm literally a communist. She outed herself as a communist. Of course, another Teen Vogue says, search for answers, search for truth, search for the revolution. I don't know how Teen Vogue, who uh, used to talk about makeup and, uh, you know, maybe uh, the, what, the One Direction, all of a sudden they're talking about revolution and socialism in such a light way, a, a nice, fun way. But, you know, this, coupled with academia, which is the petri dish for growing this campus, is... Full on, that's, that's the strategy of the left. They know they've got tenured professors in college that they can control the, me, the, the, uh, the mindset. They can control, you know, what's trendy, what's out-of-the-box thinking through the fact that they'll never be fired for whatever craziness they say. And that, you know, tenure was supposed to allow critical thought to be talked about without threat of being canned. But now it's basically used as a shield to buffer your socialist viewpoints and to enable them and to grow that populace. And they've been effective at it. Go on campus reform. You'll see some crazy, you know, conferences that they have and, and crazy events and what have you. I mean, it's, it's just insane. The ideas that, uh, and courses that are being pushed by college campuses, but that's why having those, you know, conservative warriors, and those thinkers that go on campus to educate the student body, to give them a counterpoint to, towards socialism, it's necessary. You know, when we had Ben Shapiro, Steven Crowder, Dave Rubin, Jordan Peterson providing counterpoints, uh, providing a difference of opinion to socialism, and providing an, open to, uh, an opening to a civil dialogue with a different opinion, it's imperative that that happens. But the political correct culture has gripped academia and has infected pop culture for God knows how long to provide a chilling effect for those who want to critically think against it. You know, you're not going to say anything because, oh, you might be offensive, or I'm not going to say anything because it might hurt somebody's feelings, or it might not be, it might be considered hate speech, or it might be considered, oh, you're, you know, you're one of them. They've done that with music. I mean, think about punk music. Punk music, a prime example. It used to be more anarchy in the sense of no rules. Not that they were pushing for anarchist government uh, ideology, although there were some that did. But for the most part, it was basically no rules. Let's just thrash. Let's just, you know, whatever the case may be. And then now, over the years, punk has become a Democrat party vehicle? I don't get that. I mean, Fat Mike and No Effects, that's all they side with is... You know, uh, the Democrat Party, they fight against the, the, the conservatives and all their music. You know, you got Jim Lydon from, uh, from Pennywise, and, and he can't stand conservatives. And, and I still love Pennywise. I still like the, the riffs from Fat, uh, Fat Mike and the, and the gang. But, you know, I can look past 
their ideology as I did with Rage Against the Machine. I can still recognize the music for what it is because I had the ability to go, yeah, I don't agree with what they're singing about. The music rocks, though. You know, I mean, think about Rise Against. I mean, some of their early albums, uh, Siren Songs for the Counterculture. Well, we are the counterculture now. And what they're singing about is what the left wants, is what, what is the norm these days. You know, uh, what, what's mine is yours and yours is mine in one of their songs. That's basically, they want some sort of communist, uh, you know, uh, commune where everybody shares everything. It's this socialist mindset. But it's always, when did, when did it become, uh, when did punk music become a leftist ideology? Green Day the same. It's like they, there's no one fighting against both sides. You know, when they go, oh, we're going to, we're railing against the man. You are the man. You're the, you're now the man. You are what you hated. And those who just want to be left alone, you know, I was talking earlier about uh, conservatism and, and, and how it's not just an ideology. It's more of a controlling mechanism for the things of idea, uh, I, things that base our ideology that we wish to conserve. I want to get into the conservatarian uh, definition which is basically we want to conserve virtue, morality, um, you know, things that make up what the governing system of the Constitution requires, you know, things that make you more of a, a good neighbor, things that make you a good person because you want to do what's right, even though your instincts tell you to do what's just for good, you know, good for you and to, you know, whatever the case may be. But the libertarian aspect also comes into play that those who don't subscribe to that, you let let them be and let us be and let them work it out with their creator as far as whether or not their morality is just or their virtue is correct. You know, I if you want to smoke marijuana, if you want to have your state vote for that on a federalist level, go right ahead. That's fine with me. But I'm still going to go, well, is it a moral thing? So that's where the conservative and libertarian mesh comes into play for the conservatarian mindset. But, you know, that's the thing is we have to look at the fact that having those discussions needs to happen. And the chilling effect that the left is trying to impose and, and trying to create an environment of is something that's being propagated throughout pop culture. It's in movies. You know, you see it portrayed in TV. You see it portrayed. I mean, it's, that's why I was getting into the music side of it, because it's, an in, it's, it's inundated throughout all aspects of pop culture, but there's an interesting area of pop culture that is showing the cracks and showing that there is an enlightenment beginning to take hold. And that's in the realm of the most oddest of places. That's in the realm of comedy, whether it be stand-up, whether it be skit comedy, whether it be uh, you know uh, comedy uh, shows. I mean, think about it. You used to have an across-the-board leeway in comedy to rip and joke about anything before there was political correctness. Good comedy is based on truth. And if there's stereotypes that people do, you know, I was watching In Living Color and they did Men on Film. They threw out tons of stereotypes on homosexuals and things of that nature. But you know what? They're true, so it makes it funny. And many homosexuals would laugh at it back in the day because you should be able to laugh at yourself. But these days, no, we're going to have to boycott that. You got to remove all of those in Living Color series because, you know, they had the handyman and it had the men on film and it had, you know, we got to get rid of them all because everybody's offended. So we have to get rid of the back catalog of such genius skit comedy. You know, 
used to be anything went back in the day. I mean, think about the Friars Club roast going back to Don Rickles and Milton Berle and Dean Martin. You know, he's up there with like a freaking uh, he's up there with a martini or a, or a Manhattan just sitting back laughing and they're ripping on everybody from every sort of angle possible, which could offend anyone. You know, the Comedy Central roast were that way over the last 10 years. Everything goes, and it should. I mean, think about great comedians like Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks ended his show with him pretending to be shot in the head because of the statements he made for the entire show. And he was completely anti-PC, but I bet he didn't realize how prophetic his show endings were going to be. So it was funny. My wife and I were sitting around and we were watching, looking, you know, looking for something to watch. You know, we binge watch on Netflix shows from time to time. Although now I'm kind of rethinking some of that because of the Susan Rice, uh, uh, you know, Obama influence on that platform. But Seinfeld, you know, conversa- was it conversations uh, with comedians? Was it comedians in cars getting coffee? That was the show. We binge watched a bunch of those. And there was a reoccurring theme that every comedian brought up. And think of, I mean, they were basically saying, I, it's hard to do stand-up these days. You can't do it in the club because people are offended. People are offended at the material that you put out. And listen to the names of the people that were all paired in the same thing. Tracy Morgan, Dave Chappelle, Zach Galifianakis, Ellen DeGeneres, and Brian Regan. I don't know if you know Brian Regan. He's got a pretty funny skit about uh, serving sizes and Fig Newtons. He's like, have you ever seen the serving size of Fig Newton? It's three Fig Newtons. I can muscle down three sleeves, which I agree. But they were all on the show, and each one of them got to that question and answer at some point in the show. And they, it wasn't like Jerry Seinfeld was bringing it up. They all brought it up on their own. You know, they were complaining about the PC culture ruining comedy. I mean, it's already destroyed late-night talk shows. They have to politicize you know, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, Stephen Colbert, who used to be funny when he was on Strangers with Candy and also The Daily Show and uh, Exit 57. But then he gets on his his uh, own talk show and then he has to be a social justice warrior and a virtue signaler for the political left cause. You know, you get into Jimmy Kimmel bringing up all this garbage on his show and um, even Jimmy Fallon steps in it from time to time. I mean, think about these shows, SNL, SNL has took this turn over the last 15 years or so to where they're not even funny because they've only chosen one political side. And some people go, well, no, they kind of joke on the left too. They joked on Obama. No, here's how they do it. With the left, they impersonate those people like Obama and what have you. And they go, oh, wow, look, he's, he's doing a great, excellent Obama, but they don't ever joke on his actions. They don't ever mock the, his policies and, and the things that he that he did, the most they go with is he's doing a great impersonation of Obama. But they're basically showing what Obama would say by pretending to be Obama. Not what they do with Trump, not what they do with uh, George W. Bush, not what they do with anyone on the left. And then when you see things in the news like Joe Biden, you know, calling out the Jews as Shylocks and Joe Biden making gaffes, hey, stand up there, Chuck. Oh, he's in a wheelchair. He can't stand up. That never even gets turned into a skit when you've seen it on the news. It's like all this great material left on the floor because they, we can't mock the left. We can only mock the right. And they've ostracized an, a, size of, a side of the crowd, and they've done so in such a way that they're humorless. Now they're just po- political activists making skits, and their skits are not thought out well enough to be funny. 
And so it ends up becoming extremely lame. So I can't even turn it on. And then you got shows like Michelle Wolf. She's going to get out there and go, I want everybody to be happy to get an abortion. You're cracking jokes about abortion. <laughs> I shouldn't have to say any more than that. I mean, there's people have great guilt and shame for having it. And she's out there, go get an abortion. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's no Dave Attell irreverence out there. Th that Michelle Wolf calling for people to go out and, and have abortions, that's not irreverence. That's just plain evil. Irreverence is when, you know, you joke around the way David Tell jokes around. Or Patrice O'Neill joking on white people. I mean, God rest his soul. And look what he did to conservative comedians like Nick DiPaolo. He got fired for some stupid tweet from SiriusXM, although he's bouncing back. Benjamin Owen destroyed on Twitter and his YouTube channel shut down where he was making boatloads monthly because he's a conservative who was making anti-PC comments. But even those on the left, Patton Oswalt's complaining in specials about people, how overly sensitive they are and how many letters in the LGBTQRSTUV plus whatever, how, how there's too much out there to, to be outraged about and to, uh, too many identifiers. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, the late Ralphie May, I saw him right before he passed away, and he told numerous stories about how difficult it was to perform at stand-up clubs, and, all, and then he had to give verbal disclaimers during the show to make sure people there weren't offended throughout his set. And most of these people are on the liberal spectrum. And now they're, ha they're opening to having conversations about this divide because it's destroying and killing their craft. And if they were unleashed with a new perspective of other political views because they understood what was being happening, what, what was happening to them, what was being thrusted upon them is going to be thrusted upon everyone else very soon as it w works its way throughout other parts of the culture. Um, if they were to be able to accept these political views under the guise of uh, personal freedoms and limited government and the ability to have a sense of humor and to not be offended over everything and not have to run to a safe space every time somebody brought up something you disagreed with, through their humor, through their understanding of, you know, those freedoms, it could be game-changing. And it could cause a swell of new uh, enlightened individuals. Let's hope that that happens because it's got to happen soon. There's going to be a breaking point. And I think those in the comedic world are fed up with it all. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. Okay, so we know where the real conversations are going to arise completely organically on their own against PC and against... Uh, the overreaching uh, arc of democratic socialism and just the control of government on its own, we know that that's all going to come, in my opinion, we're going to start to see that naturally bloom in comedy because it's going to be a rebellious uh, shaking of their fist in the air to that mentality. But let's go back to this Acacia Cortez lady because, you know, there's a lot of misinformed people. And I know a lot of young people that I worked with back years ago that have gone off. And as they've grown older, you see them on Facebook and you see them on Twitter and you see them posting things about Bernie Sanders and the evil corporations. And, you know, they're caught up in all this because academia has set the stage. But this chick, first off, she wants to say that unemployment, 
This is amazing to me. The reason why unemployment is so low is because everybody has two jobs. <laughs> and that conservatism, or actually uh, capitalism, has not always existed in the world and will not always exist in the world. Well, first off, here's something you want to think about. Um, if that was true, take let's take your premise about unemployment causing uh, the unemployment rate being low because of the two job theory, right? Well, who would be responsible for that being the case? Obamacare. They had a provision that said if you worked over so many hours a week and were considered full time, health care would have to be provided by the employer. So the employer found a way to cut back everybody's hours, making them part time to where they had to go out and get two jobs. But that's not the case right now. The studies have shown that uh, the tax reform that was pushed through has caused businesses to start hiring. It's easier to get jobs. Um, so that entire premise is flawed there. But capitalism never being a part, wasn't always around. You know what? Think about marketplaces. Think about when you see uh, movies where they depict, you know, biblical times or going down to the marketplace, you know, or maybe, you know, uh, in Rome or what have you. They're always going to a marketplace. That's capitalism. Whether or not the governmental body that oversaw it was socialism, Marxism, communism, uh, an authoritative king, you know, whether or not that was the case, that to me is a moot point because capitalism was operating somewhere in there. Let's listen to this idiot. Now the economy is going pretty strong, right? There's roughly 4% unemployment, 3.9% unemployment. Um, do you think that capitalism has failed to deliver for working class Americans or is no longer the best vehicle for working class Americans? Well, I, th I think the numbers that you just talked about is part of the problem, right? Because we look at these figures and we say, oh, unemployment is low. Everything is fine, right? Well, unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. Unemployment is low because people are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and can barely feed their kids. And so I do think that right now when we have this no holds barred, wild west hyper capitalism, what that means is profit at any cost. Capitalism has not always existed in the world and it will not always exist in the world. So yeah, she thinks that unemployment is low because, you know, everybody has two jobs, which is actually starting to change. And then again, the Obamacare provisions caused everybody to have two jobs. But now that's being the mandates ripped out. We're having uh, employment start, you know, unemployment started to skyrocket because employment is now on the rise um, due to the tax reform and what have you. Um, but we also have to look at another stupid <laughs> assertion that she made. I mean, this this chick is just in a, in a in a league all of her own. She basically said that, you know, for us to start implementing socialism as an experiment, we have to reject the argument that these things don't work. Let's listen. So I think that cities are a real opportunity for us to experiment with these policies and to also reject the argument that these things don't work, that housing as a right doesn't work, that healthcare as a right doesn't work, that you know, if you expand it to states, that uh, universal college and trade school education doesn't work because we can prove that they do on municipal and statewide levels. And what's really funny is, yeah, she fails to give us any sort of examples because she doesn't have any. But that is the goal of the Soros plan is to start focusing on localities, you know, 
attorney general races um, that they want to redistrict districts because that's the experiment that they're looking to build. And she's talking about something in that realm. They want to gerrymander all of these districts to change the voting uh, makeup to make it more blue. And then she wants the district attorney. Well, Soros wants the district attorney to be someone sympathetic to that cause so that they can litigate against and be the shield against anyone bringing up a, you know, a court issue with it. If they want to sue over the gerrymandering or if they want to redistrict or not, he wants to be able to buffer that because then it starts to quell or, you know, starts to come up as a ground spring, you know, as a wellspring to start to flush out into the entire state. And if you can get enough states to flip, well, then your job is done. Then, you know, a presidential election is always going to go the way of a progressive, especially like they're trying to do with Texas. You know, California's flooding into Austin and all these other areas, Fort Worth and what have you. Well, if they can flip Texas, good luck getting a Republican president from here on out. So just keep that in mind. When you're thinking of the democratic socialism wave that's coming, it's disturbing on one end because it's all a part of a bigger plan to reorganize the entire United States and reject the Constitution and build it into a new socialist utopia. But at the same time, the people leading the cause are complete morons. And they don't know what they're talking about. And they're not convincing with their argument. And I think with the Trump election and the rejection of the Democrat Party, and even though the Democrat Party is purifying itself into a, a you know, a concentration of socialist and Marxist, I don't know that it's going to be effective, especially when many of them are walking away from the movement. I'm Adrian Slate. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to me on on the, on podcast, any podcast network out there. We've actually been added to Spotify, so you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeart, Spreaker, uh, TuneIn. There's various other platforms we're also on. You can also get the free Roku channel in your streaming store. Search Adrian Slade Show. Go to the blog, adriansladeshow.com, and then donate, patreon.com slash adriansladeshow. $2 a month, or you can pick an, an amount, do a one-time donation. We'll see you guys next time.